just before we turn to, to God's word, let's just commit our time around his word in prayer. Let's just prepare our hearts. Lord and Heavenly Father, this morning we are again humbled to find ourselves welcomed into your presence. And we pray at this time, Father, as we turn to your word, that the busyness of our daily lives, all the things that wrestle for our time and our energies, can be laid to the one side so that we can focus entirely on who you are, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray as we look at your word this morning, Father, that you would be praised and glorified, that your name would be elevated higher than any other. We pray, Father God, also as we look at your word, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, and that you yourself would make us more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, at this time we surrender ourselves afresh before your throne of grace, asking that you would have your way with us through our mind, body, and soul. We do thank you for who you are, and we thank you, Father God, for what you're about to do, because we bring you our praise and our thanks, and in through the name of Jesus, your Son and our Saviour. Amen. Well, it's it's, it's wonderful to be here this morning, just to get an opportunity to, to share in God's Word. I don't know about you, but it's nice to see that Christmas is behind us. All the chaos and the confusion that that brings. All the obligatory arguments and fallouts around the Christmas dinner. But you've got these lovely gifts. Where you're looking for the gift receipts because they were the wrong size, the wrong colour or whatever else. But you know something, that's part and parcel of life. When we allow humans to to engage in the, the wonders of God, often we make mistakes and errors and because we have a saviour who intercedes for us it doesn't matter what we do as long as we come back to him looking for direction looking for purpose and looking for the plan that he has for our lives and that's really what I want to to look at this morning what does God have in store for us as we look forward into 2020 we can reflect back in 2019 but we cannot change or influence anything that has happened what we can do is impact the here and the now. And through our faith and through our witness, then we can reach into the lives of those who are on the edges, who are on the periphery, those who don't know Christ. We can impact their lives for good. We can see them move from darkness into light, from a place of ignorance to knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2020 is just around the corner. And I know that my brother Sandy next week will be giving us a message for the new year and I, and I hope that this fits in as almost as a preamble. But 2020 is seen by many, and excuse the pun here, as a reference to vision. 2020 vision is seen as perfect vision. Your eyesight is ideal. And we look for 2020 in so many different aspects of life. Our health, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with one another. And if we look at that 2020, it's a challenge for us because we want to seek towards perfection. We want to strive for perfection. And the only way that we can do that is spending time in God's word, spending time in God's presence, spending time with one another, gathered together to worship, to praise and to honour and to magnify his name. But to do that, it comes a case where we have to surrender self, surrender our hopes, our wishes, our aspirations, into his hopes, wishes and aspirations for us, individually and collectively, as a church. 
This morning as we look forward to 2020, I want to just share one verse um, initially. We'll be looking at several other passages of scripture, but one verse in particularly in particular and it's and it's found in the King James Version and it's Proverbs twenty nine and verse eighteen. And it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Often we look at what God has placed in front of us and we apply our own ideas, notions and ideals. And we drive forward with a horse and cart through an opportunity, through a challenge, through whatever. And often we, we mess up monumentally. Because the vision is ours and not God's. And if we drive forward in our lives through our own vision, then the people will perish. But what does perish mean? Well, perish means heading to a lost eternity. Perish means no relationship with the Lord God. Perish means that they are separated for an eternity from a creator God who desires so much to draw mankind back into an intimate and meaningful relationship with himself. And that's a mandate that God has placed in our hearts. Each of us, individually and collectively, that we want to see no one perish. So there we have to come back to scripture and ask ourselves, what is God saying to us? What is God challenging us with? What is God directing us towards? And to do that, we need to seek his face. We need to ask him and petition him, saying, Lord, what is your vision for the nations? And his vision for the nations that none shall perish. And in God's infinite wisdom, he's chosen to use us broken, flawed, damaged vessels broken and flawed sinful, disobedient belligerent, call it what you like but the one thing is that when we come to Christ irrespective of the things we've done we've been, we've said if we come with a repentant heart God will forgive us, he'll put it behind them and choose to remember it no more therefore we are set in this path and often we talk about our witness, our outreach, our challenges into the world. And we say, but we need to let the world know that we are just the same as them. We're not. We're not the same as the world. We are set apart. Graham was telling us that we have been selected, pre-chosen, predestined. And we are different from the world. We've got Christ that dwells within our hearts. We've got his Holy Spirit that enables us and equips us day and daily. We are different, and that difference should be promoted within our communities, promoted within our families, promoted within our workplace, so that people can see Christ in us. And as people see Christ in us, it would generate a desire, an urgency, and a thirst that people cannot do anything but bow the knee and accept Christ as Lord and Saviour. And that's really what I want to be looking at today. But I want to see people move from darkness to light, into hope from despair. And God's clear call is that we must take the gospel to the nations. We must take the gospel to our communities, our neighbourhoods, our friends and our families. Because to do so is to God's glory. But not doing so is passing judgment on those that we don't share our faith with, telling them that they are not good enough to hear about the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. That's not our position to pass judgment on anyone. We are called to carry that wonderful grace, that wonderful offer of salvation from a sinful way of life. One of the 
theologians of the 20th century, but I spend a fair bit of time kind of looking and reading and been blessed by his A.W. Tozer. I'm sure that, that many are familiar with his works. And I shared this particular statement at the men's ministry a year or two back. Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to Jesus. There's no get-out clause. Sharing the gospel is not for the pastor, the preacher, the minister, the whatever, the evangelist or the missionary. It is the responsibility of each and every one who calls themselves a Christian. Who would like the world to know that they have a relationship with Christ. And if we have that relationship with Christ, then we must be promoting it far and wide. Because God prevents us day and daily with opportunity to share our faith. He gives us opportunity to see people move from darkness to light. He gives us a vision that has been birthed in heaven itself so that none may perish. And as he's given us that vision, then we must make sure that we take it so that no one perishes. Whether it's somebody who comes and visits a coffee house, the men's minister, somebody meets at a bus stop or in the post office, people need to see something in us that generates that desire, that urgency, that thirst, that necessity in their heart that they say to themselves, this far and no further, I want to know that's God that you proclaim in your life. What must I do? Believe and be baptised. As a church and individually we prepare to wave goodbye to 2019 with all its ups and downs, its blessings and its disappointments, we will welcome 2020 with open arms. We will welcome 2020 the same as we welcome every other year. An opportunity to be presented with a new, fresh, blank canvas. It's a time for setting goals. It's a time for looking at how we are going to change our lives in this new year. For many of us, we've probably gained one or two ounces over the Christmas lunch. One or two, maybe a few pounds. It depends whose cakes have been eaten. But do you know something? We put all these resolutions in place because we're not happy with the way things are. And we want to see it change. But we do it year in and year out. And I challenge you this year as we look towards 2020. That we say to ourselves and we reason in our hearts and our minds. That we are going to do something different. Something radical. We will proclaim Jesus at every given opportunity. It's a vision given by God. And we have to act on it individually and collectively. Otherwise people will perish. They will hurtle towards a lost eternity. So the question is, what can we do? I put it another way. What should we do? Well, this is a subject that's dear to my heart. is mission and evangelism. It's allowing people to see Christ for themselves. I can't save anybody any more than you can. Or the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you can. But the message that we carry has power. It has authority. It has purpose. And God himself has purposed that no man shall perish. And that is a weighty responsibility that we have this morning. If you get your Bibles um, with you, we're going to turn to, to Romans chapter 10. And I'm reading from the, the NIV now. Um, Romans chapter 10 verse 8 through to the end of verse 15. Beginning at verse 8, it says, What does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. When it comes to mission and evangelism, what is the responsible Christian attitude? And I think that's a good starting point this morning. What is the responsible Christian attitude? Well, the responsible Christian attitude is to surrender ourselves to God's purpose, to surrender ourselves to God's calling. Because if we don't, it's just like the Garden of Eden. We know better. We've got a better idea, a better plan and a better purpose. Not just for our life, but for the life of those around us. The Bible is clear in particular points when it comes about the, the responsible Christian attitude. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us to get into all nations. Without exception. But there are popular misunderstanding here when we say go into all nations and preach the gospel. Because for many, they read that and they think it's time to pack the bags. Head off to some foreign land, some remote location, isolated from the rest of humanity. But all the world includes exactly where you're at. Who you're with. So we need to understand that God is a call on each of our lives. As individuals. And collectively. As a church. Not just this church. But God's church. The unified body of Christ. Also in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And we read this it says. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. You see, being a witness for Christ is not an option. It's a command. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And for many Christians today, they've got this almost an attitude of, well, oh, I don't know, that's maybe for somebody else. Well, I'm not really comfortable in that situation. I really don't know what to say. Correct, you don't. But you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will command your lips. That will put into action your voice box. And he will place the words for you to say. Wherever you are and with whomever you are. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You will be my witnesses. Not that you can think about it. I might do it on Tuesday. Well maybe that's somebody else's job. Said, you will be my witnesses. You will. There's no hiding place. You will be my witness. In Jerusalem. That's exactly where you're at. And then in all Judea. The general locale. Samaria. Your nation. And to the very ends of the earth. You will be my witness. Because God has chosen to reach those who are perishing through our witness. 
He's commanded us to go into the nations as his witnesses to tell people what God has done in our life. But for many though, witness means being a clone of those around us. Those in the same church are connected to a particular denomination. They learn to use Christian language. Language that those on the outside of a relationship with Christ is completely alien. And I'm sure that we've mentioned in here, I've mentioned, others have mentioned that we've used it in our daily conversation. Are you washing the blood, brother? Do you know the lamb? Can I introduce you to the line of Judah? Are your sins nailed to Calvary's cross? That's complete poppycock to those who are heading to a lost eternity, to those who are perishing. We need to use language that people understand. If people can't understand it, then they can't respond to it. Often we will stand in churches and we will use the Greek and the Hebrew to understand, or to tell people how intellectual we are. And there is a place for the Greek and a place for the Hebrew, no doubt. But let's understand that the people who we're trying to reach struggle with English for most of the time, let alone the Greek and the Hebrew and the Christian language that you've become so accustomed to using. If people do not understand, then they cannot respond. And our witness has got to be so powerful that it impacts and arrests people's attention there and then. So how is your witness? Would you be comfortable with your witness if the, the Lord Jesus had to turn up just now and challenge you on it? How do those on the outside view your witness? Do they see you as a Christian sold out for Jesus? How about those on the inside? When we look around and we look at one another, we might use the proper language and mannerisms and whatever else. But how do those around us look at us and reflect on our witness? How do they speak of you? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as such we need to make sure that we uphold and encourage and support one another irrespective of where we are in our journey. Irrespective of we're in the depths of the valley or in the crest of a mountain. Is your relationship with God so strong that it does generate that urgency and thirst in the lives of those so that they would crave Jesus? Crave for salvation? Or does their witness put people off? Does it scare people? Does it confuse people? Are we so similar to the world that there's nothing that sets us apart? Is there nothing in our life that reflects who Christ is? Is there nothing in our life that reflects what Christ did in Calvary's cross? We've been set apart, as Graham reminded us earlier. And if we're set apart, then we should have some resonance with the throne room of heaven. There should be something in us, something in us that cries out, Jesus is my saviour. And we all fall and we have ups and we're downs and whatever else. But often, often our witness lets us down. Do those on the outside see how we treat one another? Speak of each other and say it. And they will say to us, well that's your Christianity. Why would I need it? Why would I need it if that's your Christianity? You see, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are his ambassadors. 
as if Christ himself was making his appeal to the nations through us but what is an ambassador? an ambassador is somebody that has the same power and authority as the one who sent him but look at the government we place ambassadors all around the world and they speak for this nation with absolute authority absolute power that it cannot be questioned by the nation that sent it so is our witness to such an extent that we could have that ambassadorial, ambassadorial mantle or is it something that's a bit wobbly and a bit shaky and as we look forward to 2020 let's embrace the fact that God has called us to be his witness to be his ambassador wherever we go and whatever we say the words that we use the language that we use the attitude and the actions should be that of Christ Jesus now I know that I feel day and daily but I've got a God who forgives and if the world points the finger at me and says call yourself a Christian I say, well, yeah I do I says, and I'm the first to hold my hands up and say I'm sorry that I've let you down and let myself down but I've let God down so if you forgive me for I need to go and present myself before the Father and repent repent and God will take that sin and he'll choose to remember it no more but what about those in the world who don't have that relationship where's their repentance where's their comfort where's their peace it's in and through our witness because our witness should arrest them their hearts and stop them stop still but to understand how effective our witness is we need to, do, to drop all pretense and engage with people in their own culture their own environment their own background where they can tell us what their hopes and fears are what their challenges are that they're facing we need to see people the way that God sees us we're broken, lost, sinful and the only difference between us and them is that we've accepted Jesus as our saviour the voice of God has echoed throughout history it's echoed through every, every page of scripture it screams out to us I want you back in a relationship right from the fall in Genesis chapter 3 God has been crying out for mankind to come back to him to return so that he can restore the relationship that he so desperately craves and the only way to do that was through Calvary's cross he wants an intimate meaningful and fruitful relationship with us that was the reason for the cross the penalty of sin rested on his shoulders alone and we know that having truly repented of our sins Jesus dwells within us and if we know what we've been saved from surely that should motivate us and stimulate us all the more to reach into the hearts of the lost to reach into their hearts into their lives it's a weighty responsibility again Tozer has got a a very challenging quote and I debated whether to keep this in or take it out because it's a challenge to me as it will be to you and to the church in general those have said the church is the only army that shoots its wounded the church is the only army that shoots its wounded what an indictment if we can't support when we fall if we can't lift up and help shake off the dust 
What does that say to the world? They can't take care of one another. But Jesus tells us by the love that you have for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. Tozer was a great man of God, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. And for a man of such standing and calibre within the Christian community to say something like this, it rocks you in your heels. But Jesus himself tells us in John 8, 36, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free for what though? Or more importantly, freed from what? But we're free to be his witnesses because we have been released, we've been given freedom from the guilt and the shame that connected us to our sin. Not the sins of others or those sitting around us. Our own sin. And I'm quite sure that nobody would want to be connected with my sin any more than I would want to be connected with your sin. I've got enough issues in my life dealing with the shortcomings that I have without worrying about anybody else's. But when it comes to witness, we're now beginning to see how important it is to be unique in God's eyes. And that uniqueness brings with it a unique witness. If we heard a crash outside that window and we all stood up and looked at it, we all had to write down what we'd seen I'd guarantee that you would get so many different opinions because we all would witness it somewhat differently. And our witness to the way that God has worked in our lives, who's drawn us into that relationship, is unique. You hear people talking about their testimonies and saying, oh, my testimonies, uh, it's, it's no bells and whistles, it's no rockets and fireworks, it's just quite simple. Every salvation is a miracle. And that's why we all have a witness. And our witness will speak into somebody's life in some unique way, in some manner, that will bring about a revelation in their mind, their heart and their soul, that they'll just open up their arms at the end of their life. The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we as a people of God have a holistic approach to our witness. We will feed the hungry. We will take care of the physically infirm. We will provide a listening ear and an arm of comfort. We'll provide medicines and doctors for the sick and the lame and whatever else. We will provide emergency responses when things get to such an extent. And through that we have an opportunity to share the love of God. Because people will often say to you, why? Why are you doing this for me? Or why have you given me that? Or why have you taken me through this particular challenge in time? And you can tell people because the God that we love, loves you also. And we have the means to alleviate your suffering, whatever it may be. And these means are because we've got a relationship with God. And he wants to reach in to your life. We need to tell people that God so loved them. That he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16. It's the one verse that's been translated into more languages than any other. John 3.16. But I firmly believe that we do God a disservice when we quote John 3.16. Because if we just quote John 3.16 and leave it there. Where's the challenge for people to change their life? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his, his uh, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Great, I'll have some of that. But I'll continue with my life. We need to put it in context. We need to put it into a context that people can understand. So when we read John 3.16 or quote John 3.16, let's throw in verse 17 and 18 to give it some context. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It puts it in context. The people who don't know Christ are living in condemnation. What is condemnation? It's a separation, just not the here and now, but from eternity. There's pain and there's suffering, there's gnashing of teeth and there's tears. And we have that message of hope to take to the nations. We need to make sure that there's an absolute clarity in our witness so that people are left with no excuse. We cannot be ambiguous in any shape, size or form. If there's an up, there's a down. If there's an in, there's an out, a left and a right. If there's a right, there's a wrong. If there's death, there's life. If there's darkness, there's light. If there's despair, there is hope. And hope alone is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be absolutely clear in our witness. We have to be absolutely clear in the support and encouragement for one another. Now that's been by way of introduction. Um, I know that we're going to come back to Romans chapter 10 in a minute. But when we see who we are in Christ, that should set us out that door with a skip and a step, a spring and a, maybe no Kathy, but a spring and a step. Come back in a couple of weeks, Kathy, and the Venice sticks about a miracle. But you know something? We've got such a joy in the relationship with Christ. It should invade every thought of our life and invade every circumstance and situation that the Lord God presents us with so that people are left under no illusion. So that they can see Christ, experience Christ, taste Christ, see Christ and become like Christ as they surrender their life to him. Now when we look back at Romans chapter 10 we see there's a clear mandate there to work together. And I'm going to go through it bit by bit. But working together in partnership, partnership with God and partnership with one another. And the Bible is full of partnerships. You can write back to Adam and Eve, Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, and the list goes on and on. But just before we go back to Romans chapter 10, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and there's no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The world itself practices and demonstrates partnership, good and successful partnerships. But because of the cord of three strands, we are inextricably linked to one another and we are bound by the love of God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The presence of Christ in their life and their actions. You see, that's what sets us apart from the world. We are different. We've been set apart for a purpose. To be his messengers. To be his ambassadors. To be the conduits of his grace, his mercy, his peace and his salvation. We are inextricably linked to one another. Partnership in the gospel is our mission. Partnership in evangelism is our call. 
And this will see us together both at home and overseas, releasing people from all aspects of poverty, hunger, ill health. We will see people moving from that darkness that we spoke of right into that wonderful light, that full revelation of God's wonderful promise. That whoever trusts in his son will be free, free indeed, with an eternity in heaven absolutely secured at the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to demonstrate a courageous boldness in our witness. We need to move forward, not in our strength, but in the strength of God. The strength in one of whom our witness is, as we read in Acts 1 and 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. We need to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We need to be brave enough to stand up for the truth. Brave enough to put our head in the chopping block. Brave enough to be sacrificed if necessary. Look at how Paul debated and argued with many leaders and Pharisees and whatever else. He would debate long into the small hours. Look at how many people came to faith through Paul's ministry. Look at how many people were released into ministry because of Paul's preaching and teaching. You see, there is absolutely no compromise in the gospel. There was no compromise in Calvary's cross. And our witness has to be so clear, using language and words that cannot be misunderstood. When we look at God, we see that his economy is absolutely flawless. Flawless. Throughout scripture, we see again and again his emphasis on the really important stuff. When New Testament writers deliberately repeat and convey what the Old Testament writers wrote, God's voice truly echoes. It echoes this morning. It echoes into our hearts. It resonates with our spirit. And when we see that, we, we need to sit up and take notes. Sometimes at this when you see God repeating himself, we bit more than we often do. Anyway, so much for the preamble. Let's look at Romans chapter 10. When we begin reading Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart that the word of faith we are proclaiming. You see, when Paul penned this, the Old Testament, the Torah of the law was never far from his hand or indeed his minds. In Romans chapter eight, uh, 10 and verse 8, has been copied from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 14 and if we read Deuteronomy 13 14 it says, it says no the word is very near you it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey you so that we may obey him but it tells us what is this word now John 1 and verse 1 in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God and this is the word that's in our mouth. That the words that are spoken are Christ speaking through us. Speaking through us into the life of those who are lost. It says the word will be with you always. Almost a, a replica of Matthew 28 and 20. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. When we go through life and we journey, either alone or together with others, the word is with us. It's in our mouth. And the presence of Christ goes with us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
our witness is so powerful, so strong that nothing can stand against that. And looking through it, we talk about the evidence of the heart in verses 8, 9 and 10. It's, it's the heart that, that Paul speaks of here. The heart. Now, we all know about King David. We could stand up here and we could list all his failings on this side and all his successes on that side. It maybe balance itself out, then again it may be not. But we know some of the dark things in David's life. Yet God could say to him, David was a man after my own heart. Don't despair when things don't go right. Don't despair when things go wrong. Don't despair when you make a mistake, an error of judgment, a failing, a fall or a flaw. As long as your heart is set after his heart, then he'll continue to use you and bless you. As long as we continue to repent when we fall by the wayside. Now, when we look at verse 11, as the scripture says, as Paul telling us, listen, this is not the first time this has been revealed. As the scripture said, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Well, Isaiah 28 and 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with shame. And again in Romans 9 and 33, it tells us, as it is written, See, I lay a stone in, in Zion that causes men to stumble a rock and makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. But for many Christians today, the reason that we don't witness... It's because of shame. Shame and fear. Brother John there was referring the other week there. Do not fear in whatever shape, size or guise it takes. As in scripture 365 times. I'm quite sure that that's no coincidence. But shame. We will never be put to shame if we stand up for Christ. We will never be put to shame if we are who we are in Christ. If our witness is strong, powerful and bold. But does shame concern you? Because if shame concerns you then we've got a problem. Because if we're ashamed of Christ. It might very well say to us at some date in the future. Get behind me, I never knew you. We cannot be shamed or shamed by a relationship with Christ. We need to stand up with a courageous boldness. But then again in, in, in verse 12 we see it, it talks of being a God for all. For the Jew and the Gentile. That Jesus came to die irrespective of who the individual was. Regardless of their social standing, position, marital status, job, wealth, ethnicity, whatever it is. Christ came. And if Christ came for these people then our witness must reach into the people's lives. It must. We cannot stand in judgment if it's a poor drug addict or alcoholic lying in the gutter or the Prime Minister and anybody in between. They all need to hear about Jesus. What they do with the information, well, that's up to them. However, if they do accept Christ, as we see in verse 13, there's unequivocal acceptance to all who call. To all who call in the name of Jesus. And again, verse 13 in Romans chapter 10 has been repeated Joel chapter 2 and verse 30, 32. It says, And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
it will be saved. It's unequivocal. There is no might, maybe, or possibly. If you call on the name of the Lord your God, you will be saved. And that's the message that we need to carry to the nations. That's the nations that are out here in our doorstep. The ones who are living in darkness. The ones who have yet to hear. And we've got that message to proclaim. But there's a problem. Verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? There are four hows between verse 14 and 15. And we are the answer to these hows. The first how, well, there's no knowledge. As with the second, the third and the fourth, there is no knowledge. Unless that is to hear the preacher. You might not be the preacher this morning. But you're a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a witness of what he's done in your life. And that witness needs to speak into the lives of others. We each have a unique position in that mechanism that God is using to reach the lost. Our witness is unique. Our relationship with God is unique. Because of what Christ has done in our lives. We have a serious responsibility. We need to stand on our own appointed holy ground. We need to feel liberated, set free to do what God commands of us. We can see and feel an absolute harmony and unity if we work together with a common goal and a common purpose to glorify and elevate the name of Christ. We need to see the outworking of God's grace in the nations. But strangely enough, within churches, we need to identify what the gifts have been given to the church. What gifts are within the church? as a collective and individually and to use them almost exhaust them as we squeeze every ounce of blessing from them because every time that a gift is identified we don't use it it's an affront to God but if we do use it then we can hear about the glory of God being elevated right around our, our nation and we hear the stories of his kingdom expansion but in verse 15 it says preachers need to be sent they need to be convicted and sent they need to be upheld in prayer and sent and as God's people we are called to work together supporting, praying, sending, going, preaching and together seeing God impact the lives of those that come across our paths but let's look again at verse 15 and how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news again this is a phrase that Paul has borrowed from Isaiah. Isaiah 52 and verse 7 it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Well I don't know about you, but if you look at my feet they're not that beautiful. Corns and bunions and crusty toenails and whatever else. Holes in my socks and holes in the soles of my shoes. It's dreadful. It really is. But how beautiful are your feet this morning? Well, in conclusion, I want to just read a few verses in John chapter 13, beginning at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, this is Jesus, when he had finished washing their feet, he had put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is where I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The Lord washed the disciples' feet. We are called to wash one another's feet. Maybe we should go with some basins, Graham. Prepare one another for the, the work at hand. We need to genuinely take care of one another. No matter what we're called to do. We are all equal and vitally important in God's big plan. He wants to save the world through his son. And as we read there, if Jesus can wash the disciples' feet, I'm quite sure that we can do so for one another. And as we hurtle towards 2020, let us reason and agree in our hearts that this new canvas that God is presenting us with, that we paint in full technical of God's plan for the nations, that we promise to heal old hearts with one another, that we can repair broken relationships, Let's celebrate the miracle of salvation that rests in each of our lives. Let's give thanks to God for the blessings we've received and also those we've yet to receive that whoever confesses with their mouth will be saved. And remembering just as we opened that quote from Tozer, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we are humbled again to be challenged by your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would find a resting place in our hearts. A resting place, Father God, that would be nourished day and daily by your presence. That it will grow and manifest itself in such a fashion that we cannot contain it to ourselves. That we want to reach into the life of those around us, Father. And see them move from darkness to light. To see them receive hope from their despair. And Christ as their saviour. We do thank you for this church, this fellowship and everyone in it Lord. And I pray this morning Heavenly Father that. If there's work to be done in either of us. Any of us. Each of us. All of us. Then you would do it through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. So we do thank you Father God for speaking to us this morning. And we afresh ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Equipping and enabling us to move into these opportunities that you have laid in advance for us. Because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.